Hello and welcome to the Cheap Jump Shots Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sidney, and getting shots up with me in the gym is Chad Cohen. Chad, what is going on, buddy? Happy 4th. Feels good to hear you say those words, start out another podcast. I'm excited to just get talking. You know, we're kind of kind of free flow it like we did last time, but I think that there's enough, you know, substantial moves. First one on my mind that, you know, I wanted to talk about, and I really want to hear your thoughts for sure, Matt. Let's start maybe with the the Wolves and Jazz striking a, a little deal a okay. friend, Our friend Danny Ainge. Our friend Danny Ainge comes back. Shout out to Brian Winhorst. <laughs> I was going to say. Straight up, like, shout out to Wendy because he literally was on first take that morning calling exactly what was going to happen in the afternoon after the Royce O'Neal trade. And no one, was, no one understood anything that he was talking about, and I didn't either. And then it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I, just, I didn't even I – my first reaction wasn't even about the trade. I think it was just like Brian Windhorse was fucking right. <laughs> like, Wendy he, got it. He's come a long way where he's actually like a good reporter. I feel like he's one of ESPN's top guys now. But I did not understand what was going on. Because, like, really news broke about Brian Windhorse. And I was like, why are people talking about this segment? And then I obviously like had to hear it for myself and see it. Right. But. Yeah, it was nuts. So where to start, where to start with this trade? I I hate it. I hate it for the Wolves. I actually love it for the Jazz. Rudy Gobert is probably the most overrated defense defensive player in the league. He can't go out to the perimeter. He can't guard the perimeter. But he's, you know, maybe you can consider him one of the best rim protectors in the NBA if you want to. That's fine. I'm sure stats will support it. But to say that he's like this otherworldly defensive system in and of himself is, I think, just wrong. And I think the, the value that they got for it was, was overwhelmingly in favor like, of the Jazz. The collective unit of Pat Bev, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, Walker Kessler, and then four picks, I think crushes Rudy Gobert's age 30 through 33 seasons making $45 million a year. And I don't understand the fit. I just like Carlton Towns is, has the uh, stretch ability to play the four. I just don't think he has the athletic ability to play the four. You know, teams are going away from these two big lineups. And I guess you can say like Rudy Gobert helps defensively, but I think Jared Vanderbilt covers more ground as a six foot nine athletic forward. And Patrick Beverly can cover any guard in the NBA. Like there's just, I thought that they just lost a lot of talent and depth. The jazz. I just took just kind of a little bit quicker. I love this for the jazz. I think Walker Kessler, I mean, Walker Kessler was the best shot blocker coming out of the draft, but the four first round picks and getting Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly and Jared Vanderbilt, I think gives them, a decent amount of young depth in, in terms of Walker Kessler, Malik Beasley, and, and um, Jared Vanderbilt. But even they've never had a backup guard behind Mike Conley Jr. and Donovan Mitchell. But I thought, what a great trade. And then to get four first-round picks for Rudy Gobert is insane. And I just don't know what the Wolves were thinking. Yeah, I want to touch on the Wolves first because I feel like I have a lot to say about the jazz portion, but the wolves, I feel like generally I kind of agree with you. I, I don't like, I think that this will make the wolves a stronger regular season team. It's going to kind of turn them into like a jazz light or just the jazz because they have a lot of talent. Now Rudy Gobert 
in the in the regular season, you know, the game is played differently. So I see them being a top four potentially team in the West now, which is like claps up for Minnesota. I think that's a big like thing for that team and franchise, but I don't see the fit at all. Like you said, I don't think Towns is going to be able to move enough to be defensively suitable for. I know he doesn't want to necessarily be the rim protector. We've seen that with AD. He wants to move to the four. Maybe that two big lineup works. I heard people talking about the Celtics with our two big lineup in terms of Rob Williams and Al Horford. I don't, I think that's just so different than what we're talking about. Like two, I don't, a cat is like what, 6'11? So we're talking about like 6'11, 7'1, Rudy Gobert. Those are just big dudes who don't have the feet to move. Where Rob Williams, you can even see it, he can't necessarily got a one all the time. You know, he holds his own most of the time. I think Al Horford is, I mean, especially in the playoffs, he did hold his own, but they were able to kind of keep it together enough. But I don't think it's a comparison where, you know, Rudy Gobert and Cat will just be able to seamlessly be able to fill this, this two big lineup. But, you know, overall, I think that in terms of a franchise move, you're going all in, but like for a center that is not the type of player that, you know, moves the needle in this league anymore, was that worth it? I don't think so. I don't like it for the Wolves, just like you said. And I think that to throw that many picks is just insane. I guess I just don't know why. I'm, I'm confused where the supplemental scoring comes from. Where does the secondary scoring come from? Because you have Malik Beasley, who has been sneaky electric off the bench. And you just got rid of them. And, you know, you pick up Kyle Anderson in free agency – and it's like, okay, but that's not like a, that's not a sexy move. You know, he's been historically unsexy. And you also lose perimeter defense. You lose a perimeter defender in Patrick Beverly when the Wolves need defense. You need perimeter defenders in the NBA. And you got rid of Jared Vanderbilt, who can go out and guard the perimeter. And you also got rid of Pat Beverly, who can guard the perimeter. And you got rid of your secondary bench scoring. Yeah. Awful. All right, Matt. Will you let me go in on the jazz side now? Go for it. Because it's going to culminate to something else. Like you, I love this move for the Jazz. I think it's like highway robbery. Mitchell and Gobert didn't want to play with each other. They weren't a good fit necessarily. This is like, it. writing's been on the wall. To get four or five first-round picks. For Rudy fucking Gobert. You didn't even need to get players back. His contract was awful. You didn't want to pay it, probably. It's just insane that you're able to get that type of value for him. I, I don't even know how it's possible. This is like just such a landslide of a trade for the Jazz. And I think it like sets them up both in the now. If you want to keep Mitchell, maybe you move these picks for ancillary pieces to form around Mitchell that are better fits. Who knows? Uh, clearly, first round picks don't have much value as much as they used to. But th- they can move them well, to see- get some good piece around Mitchell or pivot and trade Mitchell to somewhere else and get more picks and start over. That's the track record for our dude, Danny Ainge. And that's what this boils down to. It's my guy, Danny Ainge, hitting on another trade, just like he did with the Celtics. You know, if he trades Mitchell, you can't tell me this doesn't look like Celtics trading Garnett, Pierce to the Brooklyn Nets, getting back all these first round picks. Danny Ainge loves the Hordes pick. Their horses picks. I think that we're seeing a reset with the Jazz. I fucking love it. 
And now I'm going to dig up an argument we've had. You love this trade. That means you love Danny Ainge. Now go back and tell me that Danny Ainge is a good GM. I need to hear those words come from your mouth. I don't think it was ever a conversation of whether or not I think Danny Ainge is a good GM or not. You, I think the argument was you said that he was like God's gift to mankind and basketball would cease to exist if Danny Ainge wasn't around basketball and he's just the smartest because he did that trade. And then, and then look, look what he did. They won a, they won a championship. But, and, then, and they almost traded for every star on every team for like 10 years. And that was really cool for a long time. The teams the Celtics almost had were really fucking cool. So to Danny Ainge's credit, he almost built a 10-year dynasty where the Celtics never lost a game and they never lost a playoff series and they won every championship. I, you know, good for him for getting four first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. It's clearly an overpay. I don't think anyone would argue against that. I'm not gonna, I'm still not gonna sit here and say because what have the Jazz fucking won since this trade? <laughs> Zero. The argument I'm trying to build here though is the conversation was always Ainge versus like Sam Presti. Which I'm not saying Ainge ever closed the deal. I think we're seeing with the Celtics that they needed someone like Brad Stevens who said, oh, wait, now that we have a competent team who's winning, now my first round picks don't mean anything. But Danny Ainge does seem like the king of the rebuild. I look at what the Celtics have and I look at that's the team that Danny built. Tatum came from Ainge. Smart came from Ainge. Brown came from Ainge. Grant Williams. Peyton Pritchard. The list goes on and on. You know, like a lot of the young guys who are competent on the Celtics and are either stars or rotational pieces, most of that was Danny Ainge building that team. Brad Stevens was the one who waved his big hog around and then finalized the team to be a championship team, building, getting Al Horford back, immediately moving like Kemba Walker in that deal too, which Danny Ainge never had the balls to do that. You know, bring in Derek White at the deadline, and then we'll get into some of the moves they're doing now. But I'm not saying that Danny Ainge is the championship winner, but boy, does he love a good rebuild. And he crushed it. I love my guy, Danny. I think he, he, won, a, he won another trade. Yeah, he's never missed on a draft pick. Missing um, on a draft pick is... That's fine. No, but you're, you're getting it. You're, you're just, you just said, uh, look at the team that Danny built. Look at all these amazing decisions. He's never made a bad decision. We should just highlight everything great that he's done. It resulted in one championship 14 years ago. So by all means... Uh, awesome like look look at this i'm i'm just saying i'm just saying that like the celtics i'm not he never closed the deal it took brad stevens to get us to a championship level but danny Ainge built a lot of that team and a lot of the success they're having now is you know trimming the edges getting getting email doka moves by brad stevens but like the core of the celtics was danny and i'm just intrigued now to see the jazz go through this process mm-hmm. Let's see what he builds. And then maybe four or five years from now, he'll decide that it's time for me to go. We haven't won anything. Then they'll bring in the other GM who's going to get them to a championship level. Awesome. That sounds great. You know, Celtic this, Jazz. you know what this sounds? I'm calling it now. No. Shut Celtic the fuck Jazz. Up. Celtics Jazz 2027. Celtics Jazz 2027. You know what this sounds a lot like? You're this argument that you just put out there? What? <laughs> we should give Mark Jackson all the credit for the Golden State Warriors because – he was the one who coached him. He was the one who got him there. You know what I mean? And then this fucking loser, Steve Kerr, showed up. And then just, like, what? Like, just won four championships in, like, nine years? Like, 
this is a house that Mark Jackson coached. So I totally agree, actually, now that you say it. Mark Jackson and Danny Ainge are the two smartest people in basketball. I will admit that Danny Ainge is just as smart and as competent in basketball as Mark Jackson is. Do you agree? That's fucking – fuck you. Dumb comparison. Calling a coach with the same in players. Mark Jackson didn't make the, the, the roster. He just coached him like a shithead. Yes. And then Steve Kerr, with the same players – Completely just ran a different system that worked. So, bad on you. I win. Brad Stevens I'm with glad that we the finally same players. Put down this whole Danny Ainge thing to rest. I can sleep comfortably tonight. I feel really good about this. That's good. Can't wait for them to just not win shit. I told Forever. you. 2027. I want every. This is now officially recorded and on record. Sure. 2027. Celtics, Celtics Jazz 2027. We'll remember this forever. Yep. I would say the Thunder rebuild is probably better than what the Jazz have by 2027. I'd probably say that the Warriors team, as currently constructed, is probably still better than the Jazz in five years. I would say that the Nuggets are still probably going to be more competitive than the Jazz in five years. I'm not going to – the Timberwolves in five years. Anthony Edwards is going to be, what, 25, 26 years old? Cat's going to be 29, 30. D'Angelo Rose is going to be 31, 32. Yeah, no way. They're <laughs> ass cheeks. They always will be ass cheeks. Moving on, I don't want to hear any more Danny I mean, comments. On a serious note of what you're mentioning, I was listening to something that like was really interesting, saying how Memphis, Memphis is probably going to be better than them in five years. What the fuck? Yeah, 2027, man. It's it's going to be okay. a good year. I'm gonna just I'm gonna freeze myself for 2027. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I was listening to something pretty interesting where they were saying how crazy it is that these teams are trading these picks and they like five years in the future. Where when we look back like five years ago. I think they were saying that like Jimmy Butler was on the Timberwolves or something. Who knows who was like the top team in each like conference, the Celtics, that could have been just before we brought in Isaiah Thomas or was the first year of Isaiah Thomas. Like it's crazy how much the league changes in five years and that teams are willing to give up that draft capital. It is crazy to me. Five years, like that type of trade. You just have no idea where that pick's going to be. And right now it actually seems pretty easy to get first round picks in the NBA. They're valued so highly and so low at the exact same time. The exact same time. And it makes no sense. I guess so, recap, overpay. Straight overpay for Rudy Gobert. Uh, and then if you, what you thought, if it was an overpay or not, for DeJounte Murray making his move from San Ann to Atlanta. Yeah, so I think when we mentioned last week, I, stu- I still love the deal. And I don't think that's an overpay. I think that I don't know enough about Atlanta's cap situation in the sense of like, can they keep DeJounte Murray after his two-year contract, which I know is a good deal. When that runs up, like, are they going to bring him back? I mean, you have to anticipate if you're making this move with that type of trade, you're giving up those first round picks. You have to be keeping him. You have to want to resign him, which to me, there's a lot of talk about, are they, I was hearing Skip Bayless saying like, DeJounte Murray is just a point guard. I don't understand that. We play positionless basketball for the most part. I mean, Trey Young is more of a, you know, one size with two's game, but like we play positionless basketball. John J. Murray, I think, is the epitome of like positionless for the most part. Does he handle the ball? Yeah. I think defensively positionless, yes. But I think think from a classic shooting guard perspective, like not touching the ball, I don't think that he has that much of an impact on the offense when he's not touching the basketball. Yeah, but I think that, like, that's going to be – this team needs to learn how to get Trey Young off the ball and yep. how to make DeJounte Murray a threat. He's only 25. 
They need to learn. If, if you don't make this move, you don't think that they have that type of growth in them. So I think it's a good move. I think that like, you know, obviously the game is built around these combo guards, combo forwards, athletic freaks. That's what DeJounte Murray is. He's a good defender, plus defender. He has a great offensive repertoire that's only expanding now year by year. He was, you know, the only guy in San Antonio. You make this type of trade, you give up three first round picks. If you're Atlanta, you know, yeah, three, four years from now, if this experiment over the next two years doesn't work, DeJounte Murray leaves in free agency, they don't have their picks. Is it going to look bad? Yeah. But this is a good move now. And I think you, I, I would stand by it. I, I don't think that's an overpay at all. For a 25-year-old guy like that, I wish the C's made that move. Essentially a salary cap saving move for the Spurs after they waive Danilo. And then three first-round picks for a rebuilding team. I mean, that's, that's a great haul. And for Atlanta, it's a win-now move. You know, we'll see the fit. Curious to see that fit. A fit that I think is a little less undeniable is going to be the fit that Malcolm Brogdon has in Boston. And I would ask you if you think that the Celtics overpaid for him, but I don't even think that they paid anything for him. Insane. We used to, we used to joke, and I'm sure this segment will come up some point in the future where, you know, definitely in season when we're talking about like, what would you trade for this player? Bag of chips, couple sandwiches, PB and J maybe. Th- that was what this was. The Celtics literally did that. And they gave up one first-round pick, which, again, we're seeing. If you're a win-now team, and especially if you just came off the finals, next year's pick, you really shouldn't be banking on that being a, a, a lottery pick. That would be bad. That's all they gave up. That's all they gave up. That, I mean, I remember when that news came down, I was literally walking around the halls of the hospital and just literally stopped what I was doing got like ran down the hallway to like a semi like closed spot and I called you and I was like I need to talk to Matt at least briefly and just be like this is real this just happened from the Pacers perspective maybe you can get something out of Aaron Neesmith the kids you know he's still only 21 gonna be 22 years old this year he doesn't really have anyone in front of him you know he doesn't have Jalen Brown Jason Tatum in front of him so maybe you bank on upgrading playing time and a first round pick. So you know, for a team that's really not necessarily looking to compete and looking to get a little bit younger, I think, you know what, good for them to get a former lottery pick and then a first round pick from the Celtics. I mean, I think that's, I, do I think they could have gotten more? Yes. I think that's why I was a little bit surprised. Well, I remember when you gave me the call, I remember I was like, are you, I, I think I asked you straight, I was like, are you fucking, like, are you fucking with me? And you're like, no, no. I was like, no, is it, you need, like, is it legit? Like, has it gone through? Is it legitimate? And then to fit, and then to find out afterwards what they traded for him, I was like, okay, now, now I know this isn't real. You know, like this just can't be what they gave up for him. Yeah. And then the signing of Danilo Gallinari was also great. You literally, you essentially replaced Aaron E. Smith and Daniel Tice as your eighth and ninth options with Malcolm Brogdon and Danilo Gallinari. Do you mind if I, I'll give my brief thoughts though, at least on the Pacer side, the way I see it. Did they get anything back? No, I think Neesmith's a project. Like you said, no one's a, no one of true value in the Indiana organization necessarily is, you know, playing too much in front of him. Give him a shot. Tice is probably going to get moved to, he's going to get dumped by them, moved to another team. And then the Celtics are probably going to trade back for him. You know, <laughs> yep. December, January timeframe. Uh, and that's probably, that's kind of my thoughts on the Indiana side of it. I think that 
Brogdon is not fitting their timeline. They got Reese. They want to build around him, it looks like. I know they got a couple other young guys um, out there. I think maybe Turner may be on the move uh, at some point. You know, they've been talking about that for a long time. So I think for the Pacers, I, I just don't think the market was maybe that great for Brogdon, given his injury history and a lot of those things. But, you know, you get off his salary and for where they're at in their, you know, rebuild, that's, I, I don't mind the move. You get off Sabonis, you get off Brogdon at this point, moving on. Uh, as for the C's, like you said, I think that he is a perfect fit. If I could have said who I wanted going into this offseason, I don't think I like really had thought about that he was even an option, that we could make that type of trade. I didn't know that we would build, and I'm saying this lightly, the assets. I mean, we didn't really muster up much, but I didn't even know that this could have been on the table. A lot of what I'm hearing and the talk that goes on is, you know, is Marcus Smart still the point guard? How are they going to fit Brogdon in? They also got Derek White. All that's null to me. I think they all are similar-ish type guards. But Brogdon is the one who's going to be more of a stabilizer offensively because he can do more off-ball or even a little more on-ball. He's much more of like the offensive threat you now, hopefully, he can alleviate actually some of the scoring responsibility when Brown and Tatum are out. Not something that we really see too much unless, like, Marcus Smart's going, like, 7 of 10 from 3 that one game where he just is, you know, can't miss. Uh, I think Brogdon's going to be that guy off the bench right now. And I think with Derek White, we saw enough to see that he's a good change of pace guard. He moves the ball. He makes quick decisions, but he is not reliable shooting the ball. And, you know, that's where he, he, he kind of ends. And in, in this case, would I rather than maybe have saved not getting Derek White at the, you know, trade deadline last year to then maybe just have Brogdon? Do we need Derek White? You can argue that, but, you know, based off the success that Derek White did help, you know, he was a key piece, but I think this is a clear upgrade and, I think they're all going to function okay. I, I love the move for a host of different reasons. I think that in today's NBA, you can play a six foot four guard on the wing. So I'm not too concerned with the whole Marcus Smart, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon trio. What I am still a bit worried about is that there's still no direct answer behind Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I've been hearing that the Celtics are less and less likely to use this, the $17 million you know, TPE that they've accrued. If you are Brad Stevens and you do want to go all in, you've been given the green light to go all in. I think a, I think a pretty simple, easy guy you could probably get right now would be like a Terrence Ross from Orlando for like two second round picks. And I think that would be, that would be a solidifying move that says we are going all in. Because while it's really nice having Malcolm Brogdon and Danielle Gallinari on the team, Danilo Gallinari is not quick enough or athletic enough to play the small four position. And Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon are a bit too small to play your traditional shooting guard, small forward position. That's where I think, because you have the TP, you have this TP, it's literally free money. And so I think one last move I would love to see, which would just be, it'd be the icing on top of the icing that's on top of the icing on the cake. And I know that they don't need to do it, but I would love to see them get a guy like Terrence. Because Terrence Ross, another microwave scorer, 
right? And, and we saw that the Celtics sometimes are just void of scoring when their bench comes in. And I mean, I think the Gallinari pickup and Malcolm Brogdon pickup is going to fix that to a huge extent. But I think if you have this, if you have this historic TPE and you've been given the green light to go for it, and Terrence Ross is an aging veteran on a Orlando Magic team that are, you know, and I'm not just going to try to just single him up, but a player like that, right? Like a veteran, two, three, someone who's six, 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 seven, who literally plays the wing, um, I think would be an unreal move for the Celtics. And that's, that's kind of what I'm waiting on. The problem with Aaron Neesmith and Romeo Langford was that we relied on them to be a bench piece and they couldn't be a bench piece. But right now, you, you, you have Danilo Gallinari. You now have Malcolm Brockton off the bench. You, Derek White off the bench. You have guys off the bench. But I would like to see someone come in and, who's a wing play the wing. You know, a guy who's better suited to take on that task. I understand what you're saying. I, I, I disagree a bit in terms of the – so I'll touch upon if, – if, so with this last spot, I would rather see them solidify the, like a big man spot. Because I just don't know. They re-signed Luke Cornett, and he – I don't even think in, like, the regular season he'll be that playable. I don't think that – so I think, to me, I'd rather see them get some serviceable big. Honestly, it could just be Daniel Tice ends up back on the team. Um, and, I, and, I'm, no, and I'm not arguing with you in the slightest about that. I would love for them to get a big. But I just think you have two other trade exceptions at $7 million and $6 million. And I think you can get a much more serviceable big in that range, mm-hmm. right? I would rather, you know, I think Derek Favors is like six, seven million. Like I would love to see that kind of move, right? Like that would be awesome. So I, I completely agree with you. I would love to see another big. I think, yeah. I think the, need, the need for a big is probably more than the need for a wing because you can slot, again, like you can slot these guys. I'm just saying matchup wise with the 17 million, I would love to see them make a big play for a, for a game-changing talent. But I, I completely agree with you with the big. Absolutely. Yeah, so I understand where you're coming from. What I've been hearing regarding that TP now and why they're not going to use it is because they're so far into that like extra level of the cap yep. that any person they take on, their now salary is like two and a half times what they yep. bring in. So as a fan perspective – hundred percent like fucking send it especially because we could be that one especially 17 million that could be the one piece that really solidifies could it be a terrence ross you know i'd have to look into the type of players that are you know making that you know just under that money but there were some good names who really can make an impact as a fan i want them to do that move as like someone who's trying to see the perspective of dollars and cents and as like an organization i understand that bringing someone in now even someone who is making five million is now going to come on your team and you're actually paying them like 15 million total or something for the one year i'm not i'm not saying i agree with that as a fan i don't give a fuck about what you're paying as an organization you're a you're a two wins away from winning the ship this could be the move that really like just, you know, solidifies you as like, it's you and the bucks and that's it. 
I think if you're a billionaire executive giving Brad Stevens the green light to go get the talent that he needs to play, I think you shut the fuck up and let him get the talent. And if it costs you an extra $10 million a year, give the green light. They, we're literally giving you the green light. So then he should be able to use all 17 fucking million to get whoever he wants to make them better. We're kind of like the owners right now because it'd be so nice to be like, I definitely had as the owner, I definitely have that extra 10, 15, 20 million, but I don't really want to spend it on this. Whereas like us as Celtics fans right now, we're in a nice position where we got Brogdon and Gallinari, which Gallinari, I think we saw, but Brogdon, we never saw. We don't need to use the TPE. It's just that, like, like you said, the icing on top of the icing on top of the cherry, like all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to see them use it. It would be just phenomenal to know that we are really, we are all in. Everyone here is fully all in and we are going to do everything we can and not leave any stone unturned. Because even like you get Terrence Ross, because I see Danilo Gallinari, I see him not playing that much. I don't think he's going to play every game, you know, especially come time for the playoff where things change. But even the regular season, I think he's going to be a 10 to 15 minute guy where if he's hot that one game, maybe he ekes up to like 17, 18 minutes, you know, and he's just a stretchable guy. That's awesome. He can shoot the ball, hopefully still. Terrence Ross probably fills that role-ish as well. You know, he's going to probably come in 15 minutes a game and he's just going to lighten the load, like you're saying, and you can just give him the ball on a secondary unit and maybe he wins you four or five games in the regular season. And, and that's worth it to me. And you, and you know what I think it wins you? I think it wins you time that Brown and Tatum don't have to play during the regular season. What it rewards you is, it, award, it rewards, <laughs> what it awards you is the ability to sit Jalen Brown, or not sit him, but, you know, play him 25, 26 minutes, 20 games during the season instead of pushing him to like 34, 35. Same with Jason. No, too. You're, you're absolutely right. And I think we saw this past year, they... People love to, there's so many different definitions that people have of depth. People are like, the Celtics are one of the deepest team in the playoff because we had seven, eight guys who all of which were strong, strong rotational pieces. And you could feel confident putting any seven of eight of those guys in the game for the most part, maybe seven, eight's a bit of a stretch, but like you'd feel confident in all those guys playing and you're like, we're going to be capable on any given night. But isn't depth more like when you talk about the heat, when they have like 11 guys who you could kind of like slot in and out and they're not going to kind of keep like the, the Celtics had such a small, they, they had bench pieces that were really strong, but after that eighth guy, I mean, there was such a strong drop. So depth is so subjective. We talk about maybe like, yeah, like I'm saying, like I'm repeating it, but like the heat is what I think of as depth, like where you can go, you know, four or five, six people into your bench on any given night. Like you're saying to give your, your starters a rest because that's something that we're gearing up for another hopeful finals run next year. Tatum can't play the most minutes in the NBA again. And like in depth, no. And depth meaning consistent depth, right? Because it got to the point where, sure, you can consider Peyton Pritchard a depth piece, but he was, un- he was unplayable in the finals. Grant Williams, just he was playable in the Milwaukee series. Then his depth just vanished in Miami and then against the Warriors. 
And so, yeah, it's nice in theory to have them. Right, like, oh yeah, well, Grant Williams had a he had a breakout third season, and Peyton Pritchard had another solid second season. Regular season depth also is very different than playoff depth because it's so it's so like segmented and it's so focusing on people's abilities and inabilities. When you play people in a seven game series, you have so much time to game plan for each individual person. And so it's consistent depth, right? Malcolm Brogdon fills that backup role phenomenally. That's a great guy. Danilo Gallinari fills the bench scoring role phenomenally. He's still a 6'10 scoring forward. Like that's, he's still a mismatch on, on, on occasion because he can still hit shots. Grant Williams' size limits him a lot, even though he developed a lot. Peyton Pritchard's size will always hinder him. And I just think, like, getting – yeah, if we could, like if, – if I had this – if I had two dream people that the Celtics could get to just, like – if they just went, like – if they just pushed the button and said, fuck it, and got, like, Derek Favors and Terrence Ross, I think you could – I think in theory you could play Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Terrence Ross – and Derek Favors in the playoffs for minutes at any point. And then if you have Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams to contribute, that's just stupid. But so, I think you need consistent depth. I'll push back at you a little bit because I do agree with your overall point. I think that Grant Williams, to me, is someone who, if he's at least making the defensive impact, his shooting can come and go. But I think that I trust Grant Williams. And we saw every now and then he, he was like – he just made some crazy mental lapses defensively. But for the most part, even in the Miami and into like the Warriors series, I still trusted him to be part of that core bench rotation where, you know, I love Peyton Pritchard. He's not. And I actually don't think it's his defense that killed him. He fought a bit. I don't think that like the Warriors turned it a little bit into like Peyton Pritchard has to just kind of, trail Steph Curry and he can do that he's small he dips around screens he can run around can he guard if you if you now start switching that would cause a lot of problems for him but in the Warriors series I didn't see him as much of like the defensive liability necessarily but he's not enough of a plus on that end so if his shot is gone which it is which it was in that series he's unplayable Grant I think makes a little bit of another impact but it's just to your bigger point that where they do need that consistent depth and now you're talking about a guy like Gallinari, Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, and Derek White, like you're saying, if those are just the four, because Brogdon, I put in someone who, like, I just trust him. He will get big minutes. Those four, you know, if one of them is hitting now, that's all you need. You need one of them to be able to hit their shot, and then, then you have seven guys, seven, eight guys now we're like, okay, in the playoffs, we're moving. But I agree. Maybe let's get, like, a Derek Favors, Terrence Ross, and now you're choosing between – you know, in the regular season, you can go six deep. That's awesome. And you're giving rest. And then in the playoffs, these are veteran guys for the most part that you can trust. Or you have young guys who have now gone through one big postseason run. And maybe they're a little more reliable. And now you have six guys. Let's see the hot hand off the bench. Who looks good in practice? Let's play the matchups. And it gives you a much more versatile depth that we're talking about. All righty. And that is it. It's been great talking to you, bud. Love As talking always. the off season with you and uh, hopefully more fireworks to come. More fireworks. I think uh, I, I got my fingers crossed. Let's see. All right, man. Big moves only. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, catch us on the next pod. See you guys.